Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Monday morning, August 19th. It's game week. Here's what you can expect from us. We're going to be having uh, Barisali on later in the week. We're going to have Tom Fernelli for our week zero locks. Right now, Barton, it's just you, me. We've got a, a preseason true freshman All-America team to announce. We've got some headlines. And uh, we're going to also be talking about some weaknesses for the biggest uh, title hopefuls. So, Barton... How was your uh, How was your last weekend? Did who in your household was named the starting quarterback A- after <laughs> after the final you know scrimmages? You got to make some decisions. So who's who's named the starting quarterback in your world right now? Uh, we're we're still keeping things uh, locked tight in the household. Don't want any of the opponents to get uh, get a scouting report on us. You'll find out when uh, when we try it out there for the first series, Chip. That's very Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Remember when, whenever we've had we don't have a. Uh, a quarterback, uh, a quarterback controversy or a quarterback battle at Michigan right now. But I, I feel like Jim Harbaugh always was one of those quarterbacks that got great joy in making you wait until the first team offense took the field in the first game of the season to see who was going to be trotting out there. Yeah, Harbaugh doesn't even he doesn't even allow for depth charts. Uh, what does he do? He just sort of like lists like alphabetical order all the players on the team or something. Or, um, organizational no, contributors or something right, along those lines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, we'll we'll yeah. No, we're not announcing anything yet. Uh, trying to uh, trying to find every advantage we can. Um, what's going? On? You're you're in the middle of a move, huh? Yeah. We uh, the Palatial Patterson Studios is going to be uh, relocating. Uh, you know, it's a long trip, a half mile away, same neighborhood, just loading up all the equipment, throwing it in a big red wagon, and wheeling it uh, to the other side of Whitaker Mill Road. Well, the, the the man cave viewing center is uh, is going to be a little bit uh, dis disorganized. Feng Shui may not be quite be in place for week one. I hope it's there at least for uh, for for the for the full kickoff Labor Day weekend. Right, and so the the hope here is that for the Labor Day weekend, because because uh, you and I are you going anywhere for uh, the f- week one? I, I am I am hunkered down in the. Uh, in, in, just, just watch it. That, are, so, you, are you going somewhere? No, no, no. That's yeah. what I was with because uh, we've got the Austin trip coming up for LSU Texas in week two. My, my, my plan is that through five days of college football consumption, by the end of that marathon, I should have a good feel for my new rhythm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm also toying with some, some things uh, in my game plan as well. I'm, I'm, I'm I am uh, perhaps going to be a cord cutter by then. YouTube TV in it. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit 
a little reticent about it, a little not sure about the whole 60-second delay stuff, whether that's going to throw me off. But uh, I think I'm going to dive in. I think I'm going to do this thing. I, I, I wish you, um, you know, I wish you nothing but high megabyte speeds of downloads <laughs> and wide open, clear channels uh, on, on that path. It was it. I don't know what my new neighbors think, because one of the things that we took over over the week, we started loading everything that we could take in carfuls over there. And when I am rolling out like four, like <laughs> four different TVs. I wonder, like, what in the world is this guy doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you do you have you got like a big like multi TV one room setup? Like, no extravaganza. It it turns into one where uh, the guest room and the office TV. I keep them kind of mobile, and I've got TV stands that I can set up for a Saturday. Oh, that's good. So That'll work. Yeah. Hey, hey. Cover three listeners, it's that time of year again. I'm thrilled, thrilled to tell you about the second annual Fantasy Football Today telethon that's airing this week. What is the second annual Fantasy Football Today telethon, you may be asking? Well, check this out. For six continuous hours, Thursday, starting at noon, our Fantasy Football Today crew and a plethora of guests will be answering your phone calls and dropping tons of fantasy knowledge to get you ready for your fantasy football drafts. It's all hands on deck. There'll be the pick six crew there, uh, Will Brinson and the gang. We'll have Danny Cannell and Brian McFadden there, former NFL players. And there'll also be Roddy White, Eddie Lacy, Dwayne Bow, and more stopping by. Uh, we'll have friends from the industry and the fantasy footballers joining in on the fun. I mean, seriously, listen, it's going to be a great time. And check this out, it's for a great cause. St. Jude. The Fantasy Football Today Telethon fun begins at noon Eastern time on Thursday on CBSSports.com as well as through the CBS Sports app on your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or Apple TV. Again, Thursday at noon Eastern time, the Fantasy Football Today Telethon benefiting St. Jude on CBSSports.com or CBS Sports HQ through the CBS Sports app phone roku amazon fire or apple tv um hey speaking of uh big big announcements over the weekend mac brown met with the media on sunday and announced that true freshman quarterback sam howell would be in his words running with the first team uh, i guess i guess that we should barton you know at least moving forward believe that he's going to be the starter for uh, the opener against South Carolina. A couple of things contributed to this. You know, both uh, Jace Reuter and Cade Fortin were a little bit banged up at times, and and that limited their ability to uh, to really compete. Sam Howell's been healthy the whole time, but it also confirms some of the belief when Sam Howell, a former Florida State commit, when he flipped and everyone was excited about you know what what Mac Brown and you know Tim Brewster on that staff really leading a lot of the recruiting charge. You know, they are going to invest in basically one of the potentially most impactful early signees to the Mac Brown era part two at North Carolina. So as you as you see Sam Howell get announced uh, from evaluating him and, and whatever we've been able to pick up from the inside Carolina crew boots on the ground in Chapel Hill, uh, does is, is this a does this give you confidence in the Tar Heels ability to compete in what is going to be a very, very challenging to the start of their 2019 schedule. 
Well, like when, when Jaden Daniels was announced as Arizona State starting quarterback, uh, I was, I mean, that I was expecting that, and it makes me, in fact, bullish about Arizona State's um, prospects this year. I'm less so on Sam Howell, only because the returns, the the reviews, the, the reports coming out of camp are, are less uh, enthusiastic. It's more about, it seems like he's sort of the best of a lot of very mediocre options right now. That's And that's not necessarily a knock on Sam Howell. I mean, he's only the second true freshman quarterback that we've really kind of heard is getting a starting nod so far. Um, if we can even call if we can even call it that, like there are headlines that he was named starting quarterback, but then it's the quotes just say he's running, running with, with the first the team. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what that means, uh, but it was announced as if it means something. So uh, I'll, I'll take it as it does. But I'm I'm just I guess I'm a little bit generally. I mean, hey, I I, I went under on the Locks podcast uh, on Thursday, and uh, I think that's that's still where I stand. Um, uh, you know, this, this feels like kind of a Sam Howell is the best of both worlds in terms of throwing and running and best of all worlds in terms of long-term upside for our program, but maybe not necessarily going to indicate some instant success, particularly given that they're playing South Carolina week one. Right. And it's, uh, is, is Sam Howell the, the safe, uh, the, the, the safe American sports bar restaurant option here? Where like you know you're going to be able to go in there and get a, a burger or a buffalo chicken sandwich, not going to wow you, but at least it's going to it's going to fill you up and get you on your way. Maybe when you're out of town. Yeah, maybe, and which is funny considering like usually that's not what the true freshman is. Usually the true freshman is hey maybe he provides this sort of upside and hey grows into the position and there we go late in the year he's this stud. But uh, but and, and hey I think Sam probably does still have maybe the most upside of that group. Um, but he also, I think initially is more of just kind of, Hey, our offense can accomplish everything we needed to with him under center. Let's see how this goes. A couple more, uh, Quick notes from the ACC before we uh, keep it moving. Jamie Newman beats out Sam Hartman for the starting job at Wake Forest. Both players played last year, and both players were successful at times last year. And in the official announcement, Dave Clawson was very sure to mention that almost every single year that he's been at Wake Forest, at some point they've had to use multiple quarterbacks. So I've... I I loved when Hartman sort of made his uh, e- explosion onto the scene. I was like, oh man, here we go, another another freshman taking over after you know John Walford was a four year starter. But uh, Jamie Newman played well late in the year, played well in the bowl game, and now he is uh, he's the starting quarterback for as as Wake for you know they've got Sage Surratt on the outside, they've got uh, Greg Dortch. Like this is still a Wake Forest offense that I think is capable of hitting some of those offensive benchmarks that we've seen from uh, from the Demon Deacons. I mean, they play fast now and they've got a good, you know, two good options at quarterback. I'm I'm getting these late Wake Forest feels and I, that's probably an annual thing. Of course. This is we're a Wake we're a very Wake friendly podcast. Big Clawson uh, fans. I, I mean, it's uh, uh yeah they're they are absolutely one of the programs right now that I have sort of this this uh, quiet confidence in year in year out uh, this is no different 
And um, I think I didn't really care who won that job. I mean, I liked what Sam Hartman did last year, um, but Jamie Newman's got some upside as well. So I, I'm, I, I, hey, I'm, I'm still on the wake train. Hey, did you? Speaking of of ACC quarterbacks, uh, did you see the the latest with Tate Martell? No, is he sniffing, working out at wide receiver? Sniffing around at wide receiver. Mm, Barton Simmons called it. I mean, that's going to be. Uh, let's get that guy on the field at wide receiver. Let's, he, that's 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 a that is a goal mine uh, for clicks on that first. You know option route out of the slot make a guy miss get nine yards twitter blows up yeah <laughs> i'm with it man well uh well n- number one it it is for the purposes of conversation it sort of subverts the uh like like traditionally there are like there is a well, well why, why doesn't he work out at receiver like you know quarterbacks that sort of get kicked to work doing the wide receiver workouts at the combine it's like Tate Martell sort of sort of ducks some of those uh, some of those racial stereotypes that tend to trickle in. So it's like, oh no no no, Tate Martell, look at here, look at this guy. Does if if is Tate Martell sneaky athletic? <laughs> He's, I mean, he he will be, he might be referred to as sneaky athletic, but he is in fact just straight up athletic. Yeah, he ran a sub four <laughs> seconds shuttle. He's a you know what like the talk I had with uh, some of my fellow recruiting guys and the before this move was even made um i think it was my guy greg biggins who brought up the comp not that we're comparing him to this guy but uh julian edelman was a quarterback at kent state and goes to the nfl has a pretty good career not saying tape martell is julian edelman but it's uh you know hey he's athletic enough to be a, a an effective inside receiver uh, who knows where the what the future holds for the guy? He's got hey, like he's he is more athletic than he, he is. He is a high level athlete at the receiver position in college football. Uh, I <laughs> number one, I think that Tate Martell is probably uh, should he make it to the NFL. I would say he is as likely as Julian Edelman to end up in a Snapchat the morning after winning the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> And Tate Martell can't be sneaky athletic because there's nothing about that brash boy's personality that is sneaky. There's no sneaky in that <laughs> <It's> one. There's <laughs> no sneaky. In, and, dude, because you were, I think, on the 24-7 sports podcast, sort of just sort of kicking it around, maybe even with Greg Biggins, or maybe you referenced that conversation. Yeah. But then those quotes got pulled out, put in articles, and then those articles got cited I mean, I really think you might have spoken this one into existence. <laughs> well, I'm glad you know. I'm glad Tate was listening to the pod. You know, it's <laughs> always good when when uh, we had another pod. We had another. Uh, uh, I can't remember our other. We've already had another preseason podcast discussion that was spoke something into existence. So we're we're getting some. You know, I'm glad people of importance are listening to this thing and and taking our advice. Um, and then uh, then one so. The, the sport, Sports Illustrated had a story looking at some of the issues behind the scenes at Virginia Tech, and I think that we've watched it happen and commented on it in real time. There is a, a bit of, you know, it's, it's disconcerting when you've got massive exits, you've got reports of locker room dissension, uh, you know, 
uh, Trayvon Hill, you know, is does he want to be on the team or not? Ends up leaving the squad. They had some some injuries, but then also some player disciplinary issues even before the season started. And Barton, this uh, it it seems like some of our guesses might have been right, and it seems like also maybe things were even worse than I realized. Yeah, it sounded pretty toxic, and uh, and I mean we're we're going pretty. ACC heavy right now. We pride ourselves on being a national podcast, but ACC is bringing the juice right now. Uh, I mean, so give us some news somewhere else and we'll talk about it. But this was uh, Ross Dellinger to the story for SI.com. Really good story. Ross does a good job. He, uh, the reports, I mean, the, the money quote in that story was um, uh, a true freshman wide receiver was sort of being pressured by, I think it was Trey Turner, was being pressured by an upper, an unnamed upperclassman prior to their last game, which was a game to to earn bowl eligibility against uh, Marshall. Against Marshall, yeah. Uh, saying, hey, if you if you catch a touchdown this game, we're gonna fight or something like that, um, because because they didn't want to win and they didn't want to go to a bowl game. They were they were ready for the season to be over, um, and apparently that was sort of an issue all year long. Is just sort of this locker room culture that was not not on par. Uh, and there was a big exodus, a lot of transfers, team meetings, all this to address things. And now, you know, wave of the wand, uh, obviously the, the, the narrative is that things are better. My, my, I got struggle a little bit with this. Like I, if anything, I don't read that story and come away thinking like, Oh wow, man, that was a mess last year. Boy, this this Virginia Tech team now that they got that cleared up, they're gonna be swell. Like I'm thinking, like that isn't a like if if it's if it was as toxic as the quotes presented, it wasn't even the story. It was the quotes that were presenting this this toxic environment. If it was as bad bad last year, I don't know how do you how do you wipe that clean in one cycle? Like I, there's got to be some remnants to that this year. So what if they lose a couple games, things go wrong again? Like I, I am not – if anything, it makes me less bullish on Virginia Tech um, and and just a little bit concerned about, you know, what, what Justin Fuente has is, is got cooking over there. I, I think it is a big-time prove-it year for my view of where – like the where the trajectory of this Virginia Tech program is because I'm right there with you where I I am not positive that it's just going to be a one year snapback bounce back. It's very possible that things not that they need to, but things could get worse before they get better. And I think that Justin Fuente can be the head coach to see them through that. And I think that you know there's a lot about you know listening to Fuente talk. Um, you know the just he's a, a no nonsense offensive mind from Oklahoma. Like he's he is a little bit you know he's drawn some uh, you know connections to how Southwest Virginia culture and sort of what he grew up on, trying to find some some commonalities there. But you know he's he's out of water. He's a fish out of water when it comes to trying to go down into you know Hampton Roads and seven five seven area and and recruit the talent the way that Frank Beamer just had that area on lock for so long. And this you know you look at the personnel on this year's team and 
you know, I don't know how bullish are you on Ryan Willis? And, you know, where I like Hazleton, but like, where's the, the elite playmakers that's going to be able to make Justin Fuente's offense go. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And then on the defensive side, this is the other reason why I'm almost wondering if it's a, it might get worse or we might need to wait a little bit longer before Virginia Tech is really going to sort of fully realize its new identity. It's when Bud Foster comes out before the season and he's like, all right, well, this is going to be my last run. I'm stepping down at the end of the year because the defense was so bad last year. And like you said, I don't, I don't know if like slates wiped clean. I don't know if this locker room is like, let's go play better for Bud. So he goes out on top. Like at, at one point, it does almost the human instinct of like, well, this guy's not going to be here next year. You know what? It just, it is, there are too many warning signs and this, and this uh, sports illustrated story by Ross being just the latest one to suggest that maybe, uh, maybe we're not going to have a great bounce back right away for the Hokies. Well, not only that, but when, when you're betting on Virginia tech, aren't you sort of betting on the culture? Like there's still, I think in the, in the grand, in in the landscape of of top tier teams in college football, um, and when Virginia Tech is good, they are certainly a top tier team in college football. They are among the more anonymous. They're sort of in there with the Michigan States of the world. Who I don't know how they do it, but man, they just keep on they just keep on pumping out good teams. And it's bec- and and sort of so what you're betting on is this sort of toughness, this culture, this environment that has been created. Is it a Utah? Does it have some Utah to it? It's got a little Utah to it. A yeah. little, you know, the teams that aren't in the top ten of the recruiting rankings, but are always contender to finish in the top ten of the uh, of the uh, you know AP poll or whatever. And so there, it's an overachieving type of of rosters is the vibe you get. And so if 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 now we get the the information that the roster is a or the the environment, the culture is not an elite culture. Then what are we betting on? Um, so it's, uh, it's this is going to be a really interesting year for Virginia Tech. And what? a year, I mean, Justin Fuente, this is year four. <clears throat> you know, things should be getting. It's not as if this is the point where it's, it, you know he didn't going into year two or three. I mean, this is year four where this is, should be things should be peaking at this point under his tenure. Um, and so I'll be I'll be interested. I'll be watching. Um, where did you do you remember where you put Virginia Tech in your predicted order of finish for the ACC Coastal? Well, I put them behind Virginia, behind Miami, and I think I may have had them next, only because I just don't have a ton of faith in Pitt, UNC, Duke. Um, so you know, there's there, but I yeah I just. What is the ACC this year? You know, like it's not. That whole conference is just a little bit mm. underwhelming. The the anonymous uh, coastal conference, in the words of uh, <laughs> Barton, I've got them fourth behind Miami, Virginia, and Pitt. That would Miami, Virginia, Pitt. Uh, yeah. So so I got them third. I have third, right? Yeah, okay. which, I mean, again, I think that that is a clear-eyed view of this Virginia Tech team uh, with some of the, you know, extra culture concerns, but also just looking at the personnel and looking at the schedule. Um, also, can... I, if Just just only to get it out here, we're going to be rolling out a whole bunch of conference previews 
here this week on cbssports.com. Please be sure that you check them out. Um, but and in them, there's going to be a lot of comments about overrated and underrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I want to let the listeners and college football fans know, if I say a team is overrated, it does not necessarily mean that uh, I think that that team stinks or that I think that that team is, is garbage. I am, I am assessing where I believe they are rated by the general consensus public, and I'm saying that is higher than where I, in my own personal rankings or tiers or ratings, have them. And if I say a team is underrated, that does not mean that I'm picking that team to win the conference. I just believe that maybe uh, the general consensus of the college football community maybe has them ranked or rated a little bit higher. I mean, I'm just... I, I am preparing the way that you prepare when you re, when you update the 24-7 sports rankings. I've just got right. my sword ready because all week it's going to be a lot of a lot of hate that is specifically targeted at the fact that we were required to A, pick teams that we deemed overrated for every single conference and nationally, and then also back that up with explanations. Yeah, I... Um I hate that we have to pick an overrated and underrated team. I hate we have to phrase it in that way. Um, but I also get why we do it. Like that's a more interesting way of reading something and probably gets more engagement. Uh, but yeah, like I just a little preview, like my big 12 most overrated team is Oklahoma. And I also pick Oklahoma to win the, the conference. So it's, you know, I'll explain my, you know, you wait for the big reveal when, when the story comes out and I'll talk about like how, how I view it as being overrated. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a hard, hard approach to take when you like, Hey, maybe you think everyone's about appropriately rated. Now you got to take a stand on somebody. I, I thought about just trying to find the most anonymous teams possible. Maybe <laughs> just to fly under the radar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One year I'm going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm going to be uh, nothing but the, the least trafficked 24 <laughs> seven sports team pages. Like those are the ones that I'm going take, for. Take all the private schools with the, uh, with the lowest enrollment and, uh, you know, and, and roll that way. I mean, like for a hot second on the national, I will, I, I'll say it uh, for a hot second. When we were filling out the form for the national picks, I thought about dropping Georgia as overrated. And I went, you don't want that smoke. Not worth it. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me go with Michigan state. <laughs> You, oh, is, is that what you went with? No, 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 no. Uh, I, yeah, I, I was going to say no. That yeah. I'll tell you what though. Michigan State fans can be sneaky, like venomous. Like if you get out there and and uh, have a hot, bad Michigan State take, like their 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 message boards can be as uh, as as powerful as any in, in, with, with the right kind of motivation. So uh, there's some sneaky ones. Go go Stanford. Uh, go Stanford is overrated and like, you know, Boston College by the you know, conference and maybe uh, TCU in the Big Twelve. No, no, you don't want TCU. I felt that smoke too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Coming up on the other side, we will be taking a look at the true freshman preseason All-America team and some of the big, some of the glaring weaknesses or concerns for the top title contenders next 
This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Okay, so I think that we've uh, we've got to look at this as a, a very, very special camp buzz, don't you think? Yeah, this is a, this is a, definitely a subset of camp buzz. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. Because certainly no one would be a uh, a camp buzz. No, no one makes the preseason true freshman All-America team without generating a little bit of buzz, be it in fall or spring camp. Yeah, in a way, this is like a 2022-man 20, camp buzz uh, discussion here. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll dig in here. So quarterback, no, no need for explanation. We talked about it plenty. Jaden Daniels, Arizona state. He's going to set the freaking pac 12 on fire. Um, so Jaden is, is, uh, is, is the future for Herm Edwards at running back. Uh, another ACC team, uh, keeping it, keeping it ACC heavy here. Zonovan Knight at NC state, uh, they, you know, they returned Ricky Person, who was a good true freshman last year. Yeah. Um, but the 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 words out of Raleigh, you tell me, Chip, if you're hearing otherwise down your way. But Zonovan Knight might be the best back on the team right now, one of the best players on the team potentially right now, uh, and is already like positioning himself as maybe the starter right away, which says something considering again Ricky Person was pretty good last year. Um, so he's he's supposed to be legit. You hear anything on Zonovan Knight your way? Oh, hundred percent. And like yeah. the Des Kitchens is the running backs coach there, and I've I have been impressed with um, that room in general because it it is rarely you know that there have not always been times where I've felt like. Um, you know, they've got the best running back in the ACC or, you know, the, someone who's going to be out there as a superstar, but they've always had some some depth and some options. And so while Knight is drawing a ton of excitement, uh, keep, count me as somebody who is uh, is still a Ricky person believer. Love his addition here. I do think he's going to be having an immediate impact, but I, I liked what I saw from person at times last year. If Knight can get out there, he I think he could have as much of a freshman impact as person did, if not even more. And man, I don't, I mean, NC State hasn't named a starting quarterback yet, but I do not find myself really panicky about that because uh, between person, Knight, uh, Emeka Amazi at wide receiver, like there's, there's still some really good uh, skill player options on that uh, NC State offense. Uh, elsewhere at the running back position, I got two running backs and like an all-purpose or flex guy. Uh, the the other two uh, are, are 
out of the Big 12. Got Brees Hall at Iowa State, uh, who is positioning himself as if not the day one starter, the the shortly thereafter starter um, as a true freshman, four star, former All American, um, replacing David Montgomery, and I think that's a big reason why you can keep on betting on Iowa State is because, you know, I'm not saying he is. I mean, David Montgomery is a stud, and you can't just you know, be David Montgomery right out of the packaging. But Brees Hall is going to be really good. They got another guy, Jarrell Brock, who's a true freshman, four-star. And they've, you know, they got more backs in the backfield to, to battle with those guys. But I think Brees is going to be the truth, versatile, pass-catching, really good back. And then at Texas, Jordan Whittington is coming in. He was a receiver in high school. He is... He's starting out at running back for Texas, but is really effective as a pass catcher. I think he's going to be a really versatile, valuable weapon right away for Texas. Too good not to make a major, major impact immediately uh, for the Longhorns. Um, so I think they got between him, Keontae Ingram, and then even this kid Jake Smith, who's another true freshman wide receiver, is playing a little running back too. So they got a really versatile young group of uh of running backs at texas right now man that's exciting it is i think it's gonna be fun to watch them play because i think they're gonna be able to use those guys in some interesting unique ways all right who else we got wide receiver garrett wilson i think we've talked about him (laughs) oh yeah a lot so no need to to delve deep on him he is uh the next great one at ohio state micah Pittman. now he got injured i guess over the weekend so Perhaps he needs to be removed from the team if this is a serious long-term injury. But if he's healthy, he's been blowing it up at Oregon uh, and is, as as they search for a instant contributor, or just a contributor at wide receiver, like a go-to guy they can trust, it, it seems like Pittman is emerging as, even as a true freshman, like maybe the best receiver on that team and uh, a guy that could be Justin Herbert's go-to, go-to player pretty quickly. So... Um, Hopefully he will. Uh, he'll be healthy and and you know, injury wasn't too serious. He's the younger brother of Michael Pittman Jr., the For son USC? of Michael Pittman from NFL fame. Is Michael Pittman Jr. at USC? Am I right about Still that? Still there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, offensive line. Yep. Ready. Wanya Morris, starting left tackle at Tennessee. Evan Which? Neal. Okay. Go ahead. Get, just go ahead and lay Can it all through? out. Okay. Yeah. Wanya Morris, starting left tackle at Tennessee. Evan Neal. Even with all those four or five-star guys at Alabama, has worked himself into probably an off- starting job at offensive guard. Kenyon Green sounds like he's the best offensive lineman already at Texas A&M and is going to start at offensive guard probably eventually to kick out to tackle down the road. Uh, Sean Ryan, after an injury, they're starting left tackle at UCLA. Uh, Ryan is stepping into the starting job at left tackle and uh, reportedly – uh, everything they'd hoped it'd be and more, which is high praise considering he was really highly regarded. And then at Duke, uh, Jacob Monk looks like he's going to beat out last year's true freshman or last year's redshirt or who is now a redshirt junior, excuse me, Robert Crayling, who started all 13 games last year. It seems like Jacob Monk might beat him out uh, as a right tackle as a true freshman. So, a uh, pretty good group of uh, true freshman offensive linemen. Are you still feeling the way that you did with Tennessee where I believe your comment was you're going to be starting true freshmen at tackles 
and they may be very, very good true freshmen, but at the end of the day, you're in the SEC and you're still starting true freshmen at tackles. Is that still a concern? Yeah, it is. And I don't know whether Darnell Rice is going to win the other job, but he, I would guess he probably will without without getting the day-to-day update on sort of what that position battle looks like. But Wanya Morris having come in in the spring and being really, really physically advanced already, um, he is, I think, more prepared to be impactful immediately and be sort of consistent immediately. Uh, and so I think he's going to be uh, – I think he's going to be a name. Oof. All right, let's get to the defensive side of the ball. All right, D-tackle DJ Dale at Alabama. I think we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. Jawan Briggs at Virginia. Bunch of returning guys on the defensive line of Virginia. That was a four-star All-American type guy that they landed, Bronco Mendenhall, the uh, atypical, highly regarded recruit. And uh, and so they, they, they won out on that one, um, and it looks like he's checking out. Uh, George Karloftis, defensive end at Purdue. Uh, everything they thought he'd be probably their best defensive player right now. He's gonna he had like four sacks in the scrimmage recently. Like he he sounds like a beast. And then Drake J- Jackson at USC similarly is just balling out. Um, really good. Gonna be a gonna be a big time player out west. Is that is Drake Jackson another pedigree guy? Uh, I don't I don't know. No, not that I, I mean he might be, but I don't I don't know what his pedigree is. Um, that's that what's, what's your general feeling about that USC defensive line right now? I don't know, man. Christian Rector is supposed to be pretty good. I mean, look, the, the names are all good. Christian Rector's good. I think Drake Jackson is a beast. Marlon Tui Pelotu and J2 Fele are, I think, really talented interior guys. So the, the names, I mean, I know you're, you're milking mine in here trying to make sure like you're, shouldn't be concerned about your playoff pick right oh but hell yes but, but the na- like the names to me are really really good names so i don't know like are they have they have they um are they stuck in the mud developmentally there i don't know that i mean but they should be good it sounds like they've been beaten up on the offensive line and in, in the preseason but that who is you know who is that a uh, re- reflect more accurately on their their strength their offensive line weakness i, I don't know um, but yeah, I mean, th- I think they should be good. Yeah. The, the line that I've heard about, um, that group interior, I mean, it is, it, it is so spot on that I don't know if it's just like being lazy or whether it's like still an issue, but the, the line that you hear is, yeah, we just need consistency from that group. Right. And you're like, <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting on consistency from J2 Fele here. You need that to happen, but I do think it's going to be a group that's going to be like pretty dangerous in pass rush situations. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, just, I, and I think that they're stout too to to play the the early down situations too. I just I don't know. It's USC. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get the linebackers. Owen Papo at Auburn, one of the most athletic linebackers we've ever seen, is immediately looking like a dude. Nakobe Dean at Georgia, as talented as they are, maybe too good not to start. Smart, athletic, five-star guy, two five-star guys there that are checking out. Henry Toto at Tennessee uh, looks like an immediate starter uh, as, as a guy that came all the way from California, and they needed to be good. He is. I'll say this about Tennessee, that they appear to have hit on the 2019 class. Because they got a bunch of guys that are are, bat, are competing to play right away, and Henry Toto seems like he might be one of their better players on defense early on. 
Um, DBs. DBs. Derek Stingley at LSU. No brainer. No doubt. The dude. Uh, and here's, here's this is my third Tennessee guy on the team. Uh, Warren Burrell, not the highest rated guy relative to the other two in, uh, in Wanya Morris and Henry Toto, but coming in and, and an area where Tennessee actually is strong is at cornerback. They had two freshman starters last year. Both were good. Alante Taylor, Bryce Thompson. Warren Burrell has been so good that it seems like he's going to beat one of them out. Wow. Uh, so that's telling. Um, Kyle Hamilton at Notre Dame. Safety, their safeties are really good, and Kyle Hamilton is too good not to play in some capacity. And then Cameron Williams at Washington, all those talented players that Jimmy Lake has has uh, compiled in the secondary and developed, and all and and a true freshman looks like he's going to start it at at, uh, at safety. First one in that backfield since I think Taylor Rapp a couple years ago. So that tells you how good Cameron uh, Cameron Williams is. How does the how do you think the process goes at a place like LSU and Washington that just are absolutely reloading right now? Where uh, is it the talented players sign up there, or are we can, can we go back to one of our uh, favorite buzzwords of the of the episode? And uh, is is that does that become a culture thing in the room where you just get enough elite playmakers coming through there? You start putting players in the NFL. You get someone to commit, but not only are you getting talented guys in the room, but once they're in the room, just the standard is set sky high. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the competition is huge, and I think also like, like the the Derek Stingley thing is fascinating. Um, so the way LSU has sort of tiered out these these DBs, like um, Jamal Adams had all these interceptions back, and in, I want to say it was 2015, and the next year. Uh, you know, Dante Jackson, um, and, oh, there was another DB, maybe Tredavious White were, had, you know, had their breakout seasons. Okay. Then Tredavious White and, and Jamal Adams get drafted that spring. All right. So now teams have to stay away from Dante Jackson. So Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then... Dante Jackson is drafted in the second round, and then the next year teams have to stay away from uh, uh, Greedy Williams. And so then Grant Delpit and Christian Fulton eat. And now this year Greedy Williams gets drafted in the second round, and now Grant Delpit and Christian uh, Fulton are the guys that people are going to have to stay away from. And now introducing you to Derek Stingley, who's going to just gobble up interceptions. Um, and I think there, there, there's an element of that at Washington too. Uh, but it's man, what a cool, <laughs> what like what a cool um, sort of path to be on for a program at, at a position like that. Yeah, at a, because that that's you know unique to the cornerback and defensive back position in terms of uh, like players that you want to. The only the only other place that I can think of it would be on pass rush, like a, like a truly elite pass rusher. For example, the like Jadavian Clowney. Remember when some teams would go up against South Carolina, figure out on a running play, just come just either. It's either going to be like uh rip or Liz or, you know, left or right. And, and basically whichever side Clowney is on, we're just running the play to the other side. Like that, right. that kind of stuff is just what, how unique that must be for a, for a defensive coordinator to be able to ha- know that you're causing uh, that kind of consternation for the opposing offense. And in a similar vein, another team that just pumps out one position group after another, uh, 
as Utah at the punting position. And they've got a guy this year, a true freshman, technically, who's 24 years old, from Australia once again. And if you go- if you Google him, he's Ben Lennon. And if you Google him, first thing that comes up is a pretty well-populated um, Wikipedia page of his Australian rules football uh, career. Uh, he was like a first-round draft pick in the AFL, the Australian Football League, and had a good four-year run before uh, heading over to the States and, and spending a little time in Salt Lake City. And supposedly he is the next the next great one at, at Utah. So just get ready for more like knuckleball punts, you know, just just settling down inside the three-yard line uh, with uh, with this Utah team. They need a whole wing in the Utah facility for all of the Ray Guy award winners that they've got coming out of there. It's amazing. It's, it really is. You know, like it's it's – Tom it's, Hackett, Mitch Wisnowski. I mean, they just keep rolling, rolling, rolling. But it's amazing, like you see the, uh, like you see the picture of this Ben Lennon guy, and it's he, you know, in America, the punter is the guy. Generally speaking, like no offense to any punters out there, but generally speaking, it's like the guy that's not, not as, you know, hadn't played quarterback in growing up in in elementary school. Like he is the guy that played soccer and isn't quite as good of an athlete as the star players on the the football field but he's developed this skill whereas the guys that Utah is getting are some of the best athletes in Australia who are just really good at Australian rules football and so they can do this these tricks with the ball and 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 and, and have this uh, elite competency at this skill set that's honed through more than just taking two steps and booming the ball. Like, they can run around and, and make these plays. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see this, the evolution of the position that Utah has driven. Ten goals in 21 games for uh, the Richmond Football Club. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there you go. You found our guy. Oh, yeah. 84 kilograms weight, 188 centimeters height. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I am I am here for Ben Lennon. Did you do other any other uh, specialists? Not only a uh, kicker, and I did Will Reichard or uh, the, the Alabama kid. Um, seems like he's having a pretty good preseason at Alabama, and we all know they're always looking for a, uh, a kicker that's any good. Al- Alabama... And kicking issues, something that will confound me for a long time. I know, right? Like I'm probably this is probably the kiss of death throw him on this team. He's probably gonna blow it in a big moment now. No, the, the the kiss of death was him agreeing to be an Alabama kicker. I know. You just you're they're because they're all highly rated. Right. They're all they're all like the number one kicker on Cole's kicking and Chris Saylor kicking. Like they all it's not like Alabama's like not recruiting the guys that are coveted. They just get them on campus and they're not that good. Okay. Well, let's, uh, uh, on that note, let's take it to uh, of our, our glaring weaknesses, our Achilles heel, our big concern. Um, what What is it for you with uh, the Alabama team in terms of like places where you're circling and you're like, ah, I don't know about this. Uh, I think depth at linebacker is, and that's not, it's not concerning as it relates to the, you know, them being able to have a successful season is concerning as it relates to getting to the college football playoffs or beating LSU or beating Georgia or, you know, is the is the linebacker position going to be vulnerable? They're playing right now. It looks like they may start a true freshman at inside linebacker named Christian Harris who played cornerback in high school. 
who's you know getting his first taste. Of, and I loved him. Like he is a stud. But to be playing this early, I think speaks a little bit to. I mean, a it speaks to his talent, but it also speaks a little bit to. I th- I'm not sure that's ideal. Like I think they would prefer to have a guy that that has got more experience. Um, and uh, uh, and so I, I think you know that that's and, and Yabi Noma also transferred out, so that's a concern. So I just think um, I just think that you're you're looking at a position across the board there where they may be a little vulnerable in some of these uh, shootout type of games. So uh, on the other side, when it, do you, I believe that there's this interesting conundrum and, and the depth at linebacker and, and the defensive depth in general uh, might play a role in this, but I, I fear that we are, especially, you know, those of us who, who look at the Alabama wide receiver room and Tua Tagovailoa and Najee Harris and we're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be incredible. And we sort of video game it out in our minds about the, the different ways that that group can be effective. For me, my, my glaring concern, like I'm, I'm throwing it to coaching slash game planning uh, slash play calling because I wonder if we're going to find ourselves uh, yearning for more more from that offense. Not that it would underperform or not that it would prevent them from being successful, but if you've got these other, like how fast will Nick Saban allow that group to go, especially knowing some of the defensive depth concerns that you just laid out? Yeah, that's interesting uh, because they're, <clears throat> you know, that's obviously their, their skill set is or their strength is um, skill position on offense. So um, I mean, they've, they've toyed around with going four wide. They're not that good at tight end this year. So the you know the offensive skill set would imply that they need to just spread it out and go air raid. Um, but the the defense might be more inclined to for them to you know give those guys a chance. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. For the Clemson Tigers, I'm going to say my biggest glaring concern is the youth. As I mentioned in the uh, the locks pod, I'm just I, I, I understand that 18 and 19 and uh, year olds and 20 year olds, you know, underclassmen, they even in the the great culture and the great focus that you can have as a member of the Clemson Tigers football program, I, I still believe it is it is possible to imagine that maybe as you get through the start of the season, maybe they do win all those games, that as the season starts to get long and as you start to get a little beat up and worn down, that maybe there might be, like whether it's a, a game against a Wake Forest or whether it's a game against like a Boston College, like there could be a place where you just don't get peak performance and youth and focus and inexperience might end up being uh, some of the things that cause that. So, you know, last year they had an anchor with their senior leadership. It was deep. They had like, th- I think, 40 players on last year's roster that were 22 or older. And I, and I am uh, 21, 22 or older. And so I, I just look at the youth and I think that on a team that is loaded with talent – I think that that's probably my one glaring weakness experience. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a little worried about them up the middle um, on the defensive line. I mean, they, they that's that's the area where you can't just backfill. Uh, you know, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, and um, and so like if they get to if they get a Georgia or somebody, 
can those guys dictate the pace um, and and sort of mash them a little bit? That would be my concern. And again, we're talking about only on the sort of high thresholds of success and basically national championship for Clemson. What is it for Georgia for you? I think we talked about it. It's just sort of are they – I mean they've – Dan Lanning's first year as a young defensive coordinator on yep. the first year – you know, he was he, he called defenses at Memphis, but first year at Georgia, uh, and then it, you know, is it at on the offensive side of the ball, James Coley, who is ex- an experienced offensive coordinator, but it's been sort of a middle of the roads coordinator, um, primarily under Mark Rick. Uh, so I don't know, are those guys in in when they got to go head to head with Lincoln Riley and? Uh, Nick Saban and um, Brent Venables and you know are those guys ready for that? Um, or are they up for that task? That would be my my probably biggest concern. I don't. We talked about. It. I don't care about the receiver sp- stuff. Um, I'm not worried about much of anything from a personnel standpoint for Georgia. Uh, it's more of just sort of, hey, when the when the margins are thin, can those coaches get it done? I'm right there with you uh, for Georgia. It's the court. It's the changeover at coordinators and just, just, just wondering aloud. Uh, maybe Jim Chaney is a little bit uh, harder to replace than some people believe. James Coley has been at all the right places. He's he's coached on all the right staffs. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold that he's a that he's he's a whiz kid ready to go and and turn this thing around like. You've been at Georgia, you've been at Miami, you've been at Florida State. Those are those are all really, really talented teams. And so I, I think it is yet to be proven if Coley is a plus value, like a value added plus value uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah, especially when I think, I can't remember if I said it on this pod, but I've talked to people at Tennessee who have been really uh, uh, in awe of Jim Chaney since his arrival, which makes me think that he's, you know, he really is a pretty... Uh, pretty unique um level coordinator for oklahoma is it just defense is it that simple well no i think it's offensive lines i mean how much are we taking for granted how good that offensive line was and just expecting that that can backfill in the same way that the skill position the quarterback can backfill um i don't know that i'd necessarily expect that they lost four guys in the nfl four four guys off one offensive line yeah. Um, so that's uh, that, that's hard to hard to overcome. That's a lot on Creed Humphrey right now. A lot of people just sort of being like, in Oklahoma, you know, Creed Humphrey, anchor in that offensive line. They'll be ready to roll. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, which, so he'll be good, but the, yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll take it to defense, and I will uh, I will shout out uh, a nice a nice little video put together by 24 seven sports narrated by our own Barton Simmons, uh, in which your comment, I don't know if you scripted it or if you just freestyled it, but it's like, and if Oklahoma's defense can be not horrible. And then the graphics department threw in, uh, a bar chart with 2018 being up to horrible and 2019 being just (laughs) above horrible. (laughs) Yeah. I liked that. And, no, if, and, and I mean, I think that's the, <clears throat> because that'll that'll be fixed. I really do believe that. But it's just is that a is that a quick fix? Is that a one year fix? 
um, that's 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 going to be what's interesting to to see. And uh, and, and sort of rounding out what I think are, are sort of the undisputed sort of top tier would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. What's what's your glaring concern uh, for Ryan Day here in year one? Um, I think quarterback. I mean, I have I have a lot of faith in the talent level of Justin Fields, but there's two concerns here. One is 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 he ready? Um, I mean, he, he was the number two player in the country coming out of high school. Trevor Lawrence is the number one player coming out of high school. Heading into this season, Trevor Lawrence has 77 starts at quarterback on you know high varsity high school or above. Justin Fields has 17. Mm. So there is a there is a learning curve for Justin Fields that's a little different than Trevor Lawrence. How quickly can he adapt to that? But I think the other side of it is, you know, he's had some health issues. I mean, he's he's gotten banged up in high school. Two two years in high school, he was banged up. Um, you know, where they're going to need him to run a little bit, use his legs. Can he stay healthy? Because if Ohio, if he, because I think if he gets hurt, uh, that's the other the danger here. Because I don't think that the backups at at Ohio State, whether it's Gunnar Hoke or, or Chris Chuganoff, are are guys that can lead you to where you want to go. So um, that is going to be, I think, something to watch as well. Um, I'm, I'm very, very, very interested to see because I almost thought about making my uh, bold prediction for the Big Ten on our uh, little forms that we've been filling out for the conference previews that Ohio State would need Gunnar Hoke to be able to win the Big Ten. That, that there might be a game, like there's going to be, the way that I foresee this, there's going to be a time where that quarterback room is going to be tested, where Justin Fields, like like maybe maybe it is similar to how Clemson needed Chase Bryce to win a national championship last year after Trevor Lawrence gets knocked out and Kelly Bryant's transferred away. Yeah, I think that... Uh, Gunnar Hoke will be called into action at some point. I don't wish any ill will on Justin Fields, but your point about his own health concerns, you know, I, I that only adds uh, more to my idea that this Ohio State team has seen all of these quarterbacks leave. They've got two that have transferred in, and now it really is going to be a test for Ryan Day and the offensive staff uh, should anything happen to Justin Fields. Or how about this? What if Justin Fields just isn't great? Like, right. It, it right. is possible he's just not the world beater that uh, his talent, his raw talent, would suggest that he's going to be at the college level. Yeah, and I do agree. Like, I could, you know, I think there's a very real possibility Gunnar Hoke's going to have to win a game. The question is, is that game Indiana or is that game Michigan? Right. Like, they could probably survive it if Gunnar Hoke's got to win a game against Indiana or, um, you know, one of these, I don't know, Um I don't know what I don't have their schedule in front of me, but it's kind of a middle of the road game. But if it's a if if he's got to go and beat Penn State, you know, if he's got to beat Iowa on the road, or so, I don't even know if they play Iowa on the road. But if whoever those tougher games are, hey, what if uh, it's at Nebraska? What if at Nebraska sure. the Scott Frost has those Nebraska boys all fired up? Somebody comes in, gets flagged for uh, uh, hitting the quarterback. Justin Fields a little banged up. Now all of a sudden, Gunnar Hoke, you got to go beat a charged up Nebraska team on the road. Are they ready? Yeah, exactly. I think that's uh, something to watch. 
Coming up later in the week, we will have Barrett Salee. He's going to be our CBS Sports HQ correspondent in Orlando for Florida Miami. So we'll talk about that game as well as uh, some of our other uh, previews of what's coming up this season. Tom Fernelli joins us for Locks on Thursday. That's Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.